Welcome to another edition of From the Front Lines, how real estate managers are addressing COVID-19. Our topic today is commercial cleaning and hygiene. I'm here with Ben Kohlmeyer, Master of Public Health, Certified Industrial Hygienist, and the Chief Science Officer at Forensic Analytical Consulting Services. Ben, I understand you have extensive experience conducting hundreds of investigations involving environmental health hazards in both occupational and community settings. And what should property managers be doing to protect their employees, tenants, and residents from COVID-19? Well, the first thing to do is to be aware of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control guidance, which they have on their website. And they have specific guidances, guidance for businesses and for retirement and independent living facilities. So be familiar with those. And the basics are to have, uh, you want to have a written infection prevention plan in place that helps you deal with this. And there's three big fundamentals of prevention that we look for. Um, One, the big one is activity and work modification. And we want to start kind of in order from most preferred to least preferred is to to A, start with eliminating um, chances for in-person contact. Remote working, other, you know, online meetings as opposed to in-person meetings. If there's ways we can eliminate that in-person contact, um, that's best. Next, we want to try to use barriers or other types of what we call engineered controls that work to separate people so they're not, you know, they're not touching each other or breathing the same air. Think about um, when you go to uh, a movie theater and the, the person sitting in the glass, behind the glass panel. That would be an example of an engineered barrier. Um, Third uh, is the things we hear about in modifying behaviors to incorporate things like physical distancing, increased hand and um, hand washing and hygiene, not touching your face, as well as more frequent cleaning and disinfection of, of work surfaces, uh, cellular phones, those kinds of things. And then finally, our last line of defense is the use of different forms of personal protective equipment, such as gloves or N95 respirators or face masks. The the second big area of prevention fundamentals we look for is uh, medical screening and monitoring. And there's two basic aspects to this. One is to keep people with symptoms um, of COVID-19 out of the workplace, out of our community spaces, and keeping them in their residences so they don't uh, spread the the virus. And the second is uh, looking to those members of our community that are at more uh, risk of more severe disease, so older adults and individuals with underlying medical conditions. And these conditions are also referenced on the Centers for Disease Control website as well. So generally, when we look at these medical aspects, we're relying on self-reporting. And we want to have protocols in place addressing the HR legal aspects of this medical information. Because if we seek information, if we write it down, uh, try to take temperatures or questionnaires of people on their symptoms, um, get into HIPAA issues and other HR-related issues. So how you will handle doctor clearances, uh, restricting employees from doing work, or restricting residents from accessing common areas based on their medical conditions. You want to have those complications ironed out. And the third category of prevention fundamentals is the communication aspect. We want to inform people of these risks, of the measures they can take, and continuously remind and reinforce them. What we're doing here is we're trying to break old habits and establish new habits around things like physical distancing and hand hygiene. And those, 
And this can take some time, and so we need to constantly reinforce and remind people. So a campaign of regular training, town hall meetings, signs, posters, flyers, um, exercises to practice or get people to think about these aspects would be helpful. And by putting the focus on actions people can take and things they can do, not only can we reduce the risk, but we could also help reduce their anxieties in this difficult time. So what would you recommend if a manager does find that they have a case present at a property? Um, so again, the Centers for Disease Control website has specific guidance on dealing with uh, responding to cases and cleaning and disinfection of your homes and also workplace community facilities. So your prevention infection or infection prevention plan should also have a protocol for incident response when we do have a case. The fundamentals of a case incident response are to one, assess the event, determine what was impacted and who was exposed. Where did this person go? Who did they interact with? Um, we want to try to stay out of any area they significantly occupied um, for at least 24 hours since they were there or as long as possible if we can't get to 24 hours. And that's because very small droplets that they exhale may stay airborne in those enclosed spaces for some time, but you have several order of magnitude reduction after about 24 hours, according to some preliminary studies. And next, we want to inform the affected parties um, who may have interacted with this person so they can be on heightened alert. And it's important to keep in mind that if people are following some of the prevention guidelines, such as physical distancing and hand hygiene that we've talked about um, before this incident occurred, then they should have been protected even when the person has, has the illness. Um, the next step would be to go ahead and clean and disinfect the surfaces and areas that the person um, interfaced with as we identified in your initial assessment. And then finally, um, after doing that cleaning, to increase or reinforce the prevention measures, the cleaning frequency, the, the activity modifications that you're normally doing for an extra period of time to kind of get through the 14-day the latency in case the illness was passed on to others. So you mentioned cleaning and disinfecting. Given your experience, what is the best way to do this at a property? Um, so again, we're going to look to CDC technical guidance for cleaning and disinfection. And, and aside from the general guidance, they have some very specific information on cleaning. And a few important definitions uh, when we hear these terms that we need to keep in mind. One, when we talk about cleaning, this means actually removing dirt or debris, so just getting the, the junk off of the surface. And then disinfection is when we are actually killing the germs. And they go hand in hand because in order to allow our disinfectants to work, it's better to work with a clean surface. So you get the dirt out of the way and get the disinfectant on the surface to do its job. Um, this, and when it comes to disinfectants, the CDC has three basic uh, disinfection techniques they recommend. One is a, a bleach-based solution, two is an alcohol-based solution, or three is relying upon a specific EPA-registered disinfectant uh, that's applicable to SARS-CoV-2, the virus that, that causes uh, COVID-19. And on, their web, on the website, there are links to specific lists of, uh, to lists of specific products that the EPA is saying should work for SARS-CoV-2. And when we use disinfectants, it's critical that we read the label and follow the manufacturer, manufacturer directions for disinfection. And this is a, whatever the directions are, there's three basic critical points to, to keep in mind. One is the contact time, how long the surface is wetted with the disinfectant is key. 
That can range for as short as 15 seconds for some of our bleach and alcohol-based solutions to as long as five or 10 minutes for some of our what we call quaternary ammonium or quartz uh, compounds. The second uh, critical point is that physical removal, cleaning, wiping, and scrubbing, that physical aspect does help uh, remove uh, the virus as well. And finally, whatever product we're using, these chemicals, by their nature, being something that's killing organisms, tend not to be really friendly chemicals for people. So we always want to make sure we use proper safety precautions for the label, which is, tends to be ventilation, good ventilation, utilizing gloves, possibly eye protection, and making sure we don't mix them with incompatible chemicals. So we're hearing a lot of talk about masking these days. What are the different types of masks, and what are the pros and cons of wearing one? Yeah, that's a topic of the, there's a lot going on in the media right now regarding masking. And again, CDC has guidelines on this, which, which are rapidly changing. So it's on their website currently, but keep an eye out for updates as this evolves. But some important distinctions we want to keep in mind. You may hear the term respirators. And respirators, this term refers to devices that are tested and certified by an organization called NIOSH. And an example would be the N95 respirator. That's a type of certification or designation um, that's out there. And so these respirators are designed to protect the wearer, but at the same time will also provide some degree of protection for those around the person wearing it. It'll capture the particles they're exhaling as well. Um, to ensure their effectiveness, though, they need to be fit tested to the person. And with regard to N95s, it's important to keep in mind they are, they're really designed for a single use. However, in the current situation we're in, with supply shortages, we may be forced to reuse them. And there are various discussions and the theories being put out on how we can best disinfect them for reuse. As of this time, there's no definitive guidance, but we, uh, I think keep an eye out, CDC should have something out um, sh uh, shortly. Uh, the second thing is surgical masks, and these are engineered masks that are designed to cover the mouth and nose, and they cut down on the droplets coming out of someone's, someone's mouth. They're primarily designed to protect uh, people from the person wearing the mask. They do very little to, to actually provide protection to the wearer. And then finally, cloth masks, and these are made from common materials, cover the eyes and nose. Again, they're designed to prevent the person wearing it from infecting others and do very little to protect the wearer from infection themselves. Uh, these cloth masks are not very well studied and are not expected to provide as much protection as a surgical mask and clearly not as much as a respirator. Regardless of that, the Centers for Disease Control and local health departments in this time are currently recommending their use. So the two big concerns being expressed regarding the use of, of masks as opposed to respirators are, one, that the concern that poor hygiene could spread germs from the masks um, to other people. And this would happen if people are, are sharing or reusing these masks without cleaning and laundering them first, or they're touching uh, the contaminated outer surface of the mask with their hands when they're putting it on and off. And the second <clears throat> big concern is that there's a lot of worry among public health officials that these cloth masks are going to give a false sense of security to people and lead them to more risky behavior. That is, maybe they'll be more lax on physical distancing or hand hygiene if they have them. That is very much not the case. These are an extra margin of safety, and we always need to be diligent about our physical distancing and other measures. So the takeaways, properly fitted and certified respirators are best. Um, surgical or cloth masks should help reduce risk to some degree if used properly. 
but that hand hygiene and physical distancing are still very. Ben, what other advice would you want to share with real estate managers at this time? Well, I think what we have to keep in mind here is that this situation we're in is very dynamic, and it's likely to be with us for a long time in some form until a vaccine or some type of game-changing treatment is available. And by some reports, this could be um, at least a year as long as, as long as two years. And so we really need to think about being prepared for the long haul on this. So think about what you will do and how you will manage your facilities when these current um, isolation restrictions ease up, but the bug is still out there. So when you think about your infection prevention plan, think about making it flexible, incorporating a concept of like an infection alert level, similar to maybe like our terrorist threat alert level or our defense con uh, level that we've heard on, heard about. Um, it would start with normal conditions, uh, move up a little for seasonal flu, then bump up higher for outbreak events, progressing um, with more and more precautions until our current shelter-in-place orders. So don't be surprised if this outbreak fades away and then comes back um, later this fall. Um, have your plan together and be ready to respond. Thank you so much, Ben. This is great advice and will go a long way to keeping us all safer. Please continue to visit irem.org where you'll find our page dedicated to providing updates and resources to support real estate managers in making informed decisions during this time. 